Hello everybody and welcome to the Going Up Cash Weekly Feel Good Podcast. This week I got a little drunk and rambled for a couple of minutes. We watch one of the latest shows on Disney Plus and we take a look at a movie that has been long in coming. That's right, this week we talk about Black Widow. Uh, I review that at about 19 minutes into the podcast in case you want to hear that review first for some reason. I also talk about Monsters at Work. The latest Monsters Incorporated Disney Plus show, uh, which follows the canon of the original film. Well, I suppose it follows the canon of both films, but it takes place after the original film. Um, and then I got super drunk playing D&D one night, and I talked about that on the podcast. Uh, so there's there's that as well. I left it in. I could have taken it out, but I didn't. I left it in there because I thought it was fun. It was a nice, honest moment of what it's like when I get really fucking plastered. Um, which, you know, I'm sure it's just great for everything. Anyway, if you like the Going Upcast and want to support the Going Upcast, please feel free to visit patreon.com forward slash goingupcast, where you can get access to movie commentary tracks, uh, exclusive Let's Plays, all sorts of fun stuff going on over there at patreon.com forward slash goingupcast. Be sure to follow facebook.com forward slash goingupcast or Twitter at, uh, M-A-R-G-I-N-K-O-R Margincore. I need to change that handle, but I haven't yet. Um, in order to know when new audiobook chapters go out. The audiobook for the current day is The Amber Spyglass, which is the third and final book in the His Dark Materials saga. Um, I know he's written other books in relation to those. Perhaps one day I will read them, but I will tell you straight up that they will not be the next three audiobooks, because I've already figured out what those will be. Um, In fact, I've already started working on the next one, and um, I have plans for the two that follow it. Um, because the two that follow are some of the most ambitious audiobooks that I will ever record. Um, and I want to do them justice. And so in order for that to be done correctly, the legwork needs to occur long in advance. But that's enough of me jibber-jabbering on. Let's talk about some fucking Disney content. Because that's pretty much this entire episode. Back when they originally announced Disney Plus, one of the uh, original concepts that was being tossed around was a Monsters, Inc. show that was going to be on Disney Plus. And that show was called Monsters at Work. And the first two episodes have landed. Uh, They came out on the 7th of July. And uh, it takes place pretty much immediately after the events of the first film. However, it does kind of destroy the ending of that film a little bit. Remember how in the original movie, uh, the the they figured out laughter was stronger than screams, uh, and then it showed like the laugh floor being you know really um, busy with the wild monsters on there. That's not really the case in the uh, in this new show, uh, and instead it's kind of the the struggles of a company completely flipping from one fuel source to another and having a specialized workforce needing to adapt incredibly quickly due to the power needs of the city so it's actually kind of interesting in that area at least it's interesting to me as a as a process person like they really should have scaled this out just because laughter is stronger doesn't mean you don't still collect screams at least as a transition to laughter they went full stop scream full-on laughter without the labor force to support it and that's not the way to do it 
That's no, you phase out and you phase in, right? You keep your screamers on staff so there's fucking power, and then you slowly bring in the jokesters, which is what they're called instead of the the you know the the scarers. They're jokesters now, and you bring them in. That's how you do it. But no, they didn't. They didn't do that right. Um, but of course, if they did it right, then there wouldn't be like. Actually, I would argue there'd still be a show, you know? Um, at least, you know, because then you would just be training the jokesters, which is exactly what the show is, essentially. Um, but while the scarers are being trained to jokesters, they could still be scarers. Um, that's what I would have done if I made this show. But that's not what they've done here. However, they have done something that I think is good in, in any of these shows, and they've given us a, a brand new main character... In order to experience these things through the eyes of somebody who's experiencing it for the first time. Mike and Sully from the original movies are still there, voiced by Billy Crystal and John Goodman, respectively. Uh, Sully is actually the new CEO of Monsters Incorporated after they got Water Noose arrested at the end of the first movie. And Mike is in charge of comedy, which uh, is hilarious to me. Um, Billy Crystal is incredibly funny. But the idea, like, I like to think I'm pretty funny. I like to think I understand what makes good comedy, but I don't know, the idea of teaching it, it's just so, like, beyond me. Um, I mean, comedy does have rules. There are things that you can do. There are ways that certain things need to be structured in order to be funny. Um, but then there's a lot of things that just break those rules, you know? Like, you know, you've got rule of three. Uh, and you'll see this a lot in sitcoms, um, especially, where essentially there will be a like a situation or a setup, and then three jokes will generate from that situation or setup, and that's your limit. You you dive out after three. It's rule of three, um, and it, you know it's that's it. I'm trying to think of like an example. It'd be like, you know, if you got a. If you dropped your lunch tray in the middle of the lunchroom and everybody laughed, and then you went and sat down at a table with, like, your friends, those friends have three opportunities to make fun of you before it's not a, it's not funny anymore. You're probably not going to think it's funny at all. But, you know, they could, call, they could call you a name or they could poke fun at the situation or whatever. But after the third time that happens, you got to cut out, you know? If you've ever been in a situation where everybody's making fun and having a good time, and then you chime in with a statement of your own trying to keep the party going, chances are you're the fourth or fifth person to do that, and then that's when the laughter dies. So, um, But yeah, I don't envy Mike Wazowski at all coming up with uh, rules of comedy. Um, I was, I, I'm actually like kind of curious to see like what they were going to do there. Um, mostly it's just like... it's jokes and then like meta jokes for the show it's not like actual factual rules of comedy um which is fine uh the show itself is not very funny like the monsters at work show isn't very funny uh which is kind of ironic because a lot of it deals with comedy like as the main subject matter which is interesting in its own way uh but yeah we've got this guy named tyler tuskman who's our new main character and he's a recent graduate of monsters university he got hired to be a scarer, like, right out the gate. Shows up. They're not scaring anymore. They're laughing. And he's like, I don't know how to be funny. After the knees. <laughs> he's like, I don't know how to be funny. And so they assign him to the MIFT team. M-I-F-T. Which stands for Monsters, Inc. Facilities Team. 
uh, and where we meet a whole host of wacky new characters. Um, I say it like that because, as I just stated earlier, this isn't the show that I would have made. Uh, but it's not a bad show. It's not gonna blow your mind or do anything new. Um, it's it's your bog standard workplace comedy, uh, just without really the comedy because I didn't think it was all that funny. Um, I will say the cast is more impressive than I feel like this show has any right to be. Uh, Mindy uh, Calling from I mean she's been in a million things, uh, but she's hilarious. Uh, probably best known for being in The Office. Uh, she is the air quotes best friend. Uh, Val Little. You got Henry Winkler, fucking Happy Days, Fonzie. This dude's been in a million things. Uh, a lot of Adam Sandler movies. He's like this adorable, they call him a taper-like boss, but I almost feel like it's a bit more elephant because of just the size of his fucking schnoz. Um, but he's fantastic, and he looks very fuzzy. Uh, the animation's pretty good, I gotta say. You know, it's Pixar. It's Pixar animated. Uh, it feels... I don't think the animation quality is lesser than we would see in, like, a feature film. Um, I think it is, like, you know, it's exactly what you would want it to look like. It looks like the original movie. Um, except, like, the human kids look better because they figured out how to animate people uh, a lot better in the intervening, like, fucking two decades since the first movie came out. Almost two decades. Um, but, yeah, it looks good. It's my own, like preconceived notions of me going oh it's a tv show it's not gonna look as good but it does it does look good music's also really good i historically don't enjoy randy newman um but that fucking i love the monsters inc theme i love it it's like the swingy jazzy number i know that's what randy newman's like really known for um instrumental stuff that newman's done i'm pretty okay with uh except for the bugs life suite which is the worst uh because it has this gorgeous opening like flow to it and then it just goes burr, 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 and I'm just like this is terrible um but no I love the monster scene thing uh so yeah that's good let's see who else is in there Bonnie Hunt as Miss Flint Ratzenberger uh he hasn't shown up in the show yet but he's supposed to be in the cast uh Jennifer Tilly is the voice of Celia May uh Shia Tyler is Tyler's mom um yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty good um, gosh. Yeah, I, I enjoy it. Um, out of all of the Pixar intellectual properties they could have done, like, an epilogue-styled show about. Because it does take place after the events of the first film. So it's, like, either a sequel or an epilogue, however you want to describe it. If it gets another season, I'll call it a sequel. But right now, I'm just going to call it a really long epilogue. Where it just kind of wraps up, you know, whatever. I don't know how many episodes of this there are going to be. My guess would be ten. Um, I don't think it's actually told us. It looks like they're doing two, um, episodes a week for a while. Um, nope, sorry. It was two episodes to begin, and then it's an episode each subsequent week. I'm gonna guess ten episodes. Well, well, yeah, ten episodes. Um, yes. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's not bad. It, like I said, it's not gonna blow your mind. If you're a really big Monsters, Inc. fan, then, you know, you're probably gonna enjoy this. Um, I think it's nice to see this world again, because out of all of the intellectual properties, this one's probably one of the easier ones to, like, branch off into, because it's super easy to introduce a new character and have it exist and make sense in the new universe, and then to roll out from there. Plus, 
uh, I, I enjoy this this business problem, you know? A new source of energy. Uh, we see the active, uh, like, hints of how much of a problem this is because there's constant power outages because they do not have the levels of staffing required in order to maintain their previous levels of efficiency. And I'm, like, all about that. So, I, I'm, like, I'm absolutely bringing, in like, my work into the shit I watch on my free time because I'm sitting here being, like, this is a gorgeous example of how not to fucking change shit. You don't just flip one thing off and turn another thing on. You gotta do it slowly over time. There's steps to take. There's discovery to have. There's interviews and people to talk to. You can't just do that. Granted, they did undergo a huge leadership shift after the previous CEO was arrested for war crimes. But at the same time, there needed to be a smoother transition. Because now they're so fucked like behind like they need to staff up to where they were before which generously was let's say at least 50 scarers right they had like let's say actually probably more than that because you need power like 24 7 right so let's say it's let's do some quick math where'd my phone go where'd my phone go what did you do with my phone oh there it is get over here you little bastard all right quick math Let's see here. Um, I could probably figure this out based on how many doors are actually available on the left floor, but just for the sake of argument, let's say there's 12 doors on the left floor, so that's 12 monsters a shift, right? You got three shifts in a day, so six monsters, uh, and if you want to do it seven days a week, let's say we'll have two teams. Uh, so 72. 72 monsters, or 72 scarers, right? Throughout this show, it looked like they had about four to five jokesters like, trained and ready to go. Mike Wazowski took up three of the top five spots. I don't know why he's making, like, multiple employee profiles in order to pull that off, but he did, right? So let's say they have five jokesters. So we got five divided by 72. These motherfuckers are at 6% of their labor force from what they were before. 6%. No wonder they have blackouts. They need to hire fucking 66 jokesters like yesterday like ready to go and full on and that's not how any of that shit works like the fact that what's it tyler shows up day one ready to get his scare assignments like he knows how to, could you imagine like think about that you went to school for engineering right and you get an engineering job you show up day one they just throw you right in the middle of the fucking weeds there's no training there's no onboarding there's like a 20 second orientation fuck you get going that's absurd it's not how any of that works i know i'm probably expecting too much from a kid show but that's not how that's not how getting a job works that's that's not how day one of a job works they they wouldn't this isn't this none of this is how a good company should do it I didn't realize I cared this much, but now I'm invested from this point of view. I want to see how the company will recover from this. How are they going to hire 94% of their fucking labor force in time in order to get this done? Because we're following just one guy and he's going to cut, like, don't get me wrong, company's kind of figuring it out because now they're having, like, on-the-site training in order how to be funny. Which is a whole other host of things I could ramble about. Like, can you really learn to be funny? I would say yes. 
You know, some people have like this innate delivery, but to the art of telling jokes, the art of writing jokes, all that crap, yeah, you could learn to be funny. Um, that's that's absolutely it's a skill. It's just like drawing, practice, you know, and you'll be funny. Not a problem. Um, so I, I'll give them points for that, but how long is it gonna take before these people are ready to be jokesters and how much of your fucking civilization is gonna suffer because of these power shortages? They need it to keep the scarers on. Is it as efficient? No. That's why you're upgrading to jokesters. But it's a slow transition, not all at once. You goofy fools. Anyway, the show's okay. Um, it elicits some passion out of me, though. I'll give it that. So, thumbs up for Monsters at Work for making me mad about this shit from a business point of view, you motherfuckers. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Hey, everybody. So, I just want to talk about this real quick because I'm really excited about this. Um, and this is totally just me flexing kind of sort of um but uh i'm also fairly inebriated i'm just gonna be fully honest with you i consumed a little too much beer and whiskey um in tonight's festivities and uh i want to talk about it for a little bit because you know i think it's interesting so of course pandemic hit and that kind of shattered everybody who i speak to's perceptions of reality um because boy howdy didn't that just change the game for everybody and uh recently i have recaptured one of the magical things that had existed before the pandemic and that was in-person dungeons and dragons uh a couple of about an hour ago um i just wrapped up the uh most recent session for a new in-person D&D campaign that I'm doing. I'm actually going to be running it with two different parties. Um, but uh, the second party hasn't started yet because they need to finish Curse of Stride. And I wanted to talk about it a little bit because I think it's fun and interesting. So I've set this new campaign in um, the world of Exandria, which is the canonical world of Critical Role. And uh, my campaign is set a year after the Dolan's Closet one-shot which is in and of itself set a year after the events of campaign one. So the Vox Machina arc. Uh, so we're two years after the Vox Machina arc. And uh, essentially what my my thread is, I don't want to spoil it too much because in case players of that campaign listen to this podcast, but essentially uh, a, a big fan of Vox Machina set up a guild house in Stillben, which is where Vox Machina uh, met for the first time and like assembled as a unit um, and in that guild house there's a list of quests that the party could theoretically go after and from there on out it kind of spools out you know depending on if you take quests A, B, C or D uh, it determines the, the direction of the party and which big bad they would encounter theoretically first um, and I love that I basically have like a list of like quests and people that are responsible for those problems and stuff like that and depending on which one they go after I'm like well there's the big bad for this arc and then I just kind of narrow the focus from there um and it's been it's been awesome to to develop a story from this I think it's actually going really well 
Because right at the gate, I give my characters a hub. I give them like a list of things that they can go after and really open the world right at the gate. Uh, NPCs for them to care about. And then they just go off and have adventures. And that's that's kind of my my strategy here. And I'm slowly like breadcrumbing um, like what the fuck is happening and secrets like that. And they're slowly putting the pieces together. Um, we just had our second session. So, I mean, they're level two right now. Um, a lot more ground to cover and a lot more things to learn. Uh, but I'm just, I'm thrilled with how it's going. And having all of these people, like, in person and doing D&D, like, the way it's, in my opinion, it's meant to be played is just spectacular. I have an absolute blast DMing for, for that party. And it's just been a ton of fun. So I wanted to talk about it a little briefly and say that, like, as restrictions are lifted and people are being vaccinated, that, like... If you can, get some in-person D&D up on your chopping block because it's fucking dope as hell. Now let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Couple of years in the waiting, in the making because of pandemic delays, movie delays, all sorts of delays. But Black Widow is finally out for people's viewing purposes. And I gotta tell you, I'll probably be the first to tell you, it's so not worth the wait. It's just okay. To call it a competent movie is the kindest thing I can say about it. It's fine. It doesn't blow my mind. It didn't do anything worthwhile. Like, I, I was convinced that the reason this movie got delayed time and time again was because it had some incredible bearing on phase four of the MCU. It doesn't. It's, it's as much of a standalone, one-off Marvel movie as you're likely to see. There's never going to be a sequel. It's just a, it's just a thing that exists. It's like, it's honestly, it feels really like a comic book where you have your, your main line, your main story, and then every now and then there's like a, a one-off issue that kind of tells you, you know, the answers to questions you may or may not have had. Like, what did Black Widow do between the events of Civil War and the beginning of Infinity War? I didn't really care. I imagine most people didn't. It's a lot like the Monsters at Work show. That's answering questions I never asked. Granted, except with Monsters at Work, I, I found the results to be entertaining. And with Black Widow, I found the results to be palatable. But let's talk about the movie. So, like I said, it takes place between the events of Civil War and Infinity War. And it basically crosses that gap. Um, we get a little bit of uh, Black Widow's, uh, like, childhood in this film. Um, where she, uh, her, air quotes, younger sister and her, air quotes, parents are living in Ohio. And the parents are working on a... Um, mission for the what is this organization known as the red room which is a kind of secretive cabal organization that is responsible for training and creating the widows um of which natasha romanoff is just one uh and the red room is run by this guy named um oh what the fuck was his name um uh not dimitrov what the fuck was his name um fuck I can't remember. I saw it today. I can't fucking remember. That's how unimpactful this fucking movie was. It's run by Ray Winstone. He's the actor who plays 
insert generic Russian bad guy name here. Um, uh, that's another thing. A lot of not great Russian accents in this movie. I don't, I don't think they cast anybody who's actually Russian. Not that I've looked or confirmed, but not like, you know, it's, it's a lot of like, you know, hello, welcome to Russian Red Room. I am insert generic Russian name here and I will tear your uterus out. And so you no have kids, but you kill real good. Um, we got a little bit of their childhood. And we later find out that the reason I'm doing all the air quotes is because they're not actually related. Um, and it was all part of a front to let the parents do this mission where they were basically developing mind control. Um, and then the U.S. government finds out about him and they run uh, to Cuba. At which point the two daughters are taken away to become widows. Uh, and the dad is sent to prison. Dad's played by David Arbor, uh, who most people know from um, Stranger Things. His character is entertaining, um, if a bit useless, and that's basically all I can say about it, but we'll get to that. And then the movie fast-forwards about 21 years later, um, where Black Widow is running from uh, Secretary of State Ross, um, who's after her because of the Sokovian Accords and how she broke them by attacking um, uh, T'Challa. And she uh, basically goes to... So once, once she's on the run, she's in like Norway somewhere. She meets up with a guy who basically hooks her up with like gear and vehicles and places to stay when, you know, give money and stuff like that. I don't remember his name. And she hangs out there for a little while. First like 30 minutes of this, she's like just kind of chilling, just hiding basically. Uh, then the generator craps out and she needs some gas. And so she decides to go into town and then her car is attacked by Taskmaster who is as uninteresting a Marvel villain as was likely to come up in a movie like this. Um, it's not that I don't have anything against Taskmaster uh, and their ability to perfectly mimic anyone's like hand-to-hand -hand fighting style. Uh, but they really only do the mimic thing once in the whole movie, and that's in the first interaction. Um, and Widow gets her ass kicked. Then later on, it's, it's not even a problem for people to defeat Taskmaster. And it's kind of like, really? This, it, this seems far too easy. Um, side note, there's a, a YouTube show I like watching called Pitch Meeting, where uh, this guy will basically describe the plots of movies and um, kind of, uh, as they do that, point out how silly some movies are or how confusing or stupid and stuff like that. Um, but he has a catchphrase uh, where he'll describe a problem, and I'm now going to quote perfectly how the pitch meaning for Black Widow is going to go down, uh, and here's how it's going to go. Wow, the Taskmaster sounds like they're going to be really big challenge to take out. Actually, it's going to be super easy. Barely an inconvenience. Oh, really? Yeah, they're just going to eventually lock Taskmaster into a cha into a prison cell, and then they're going to get out, and they're going to fall to the planet, and then Widow's going to punch them like two times, and then cure them of brainwashing powers. And then it's all over. Um, oh, yeah. All the widows of the nowadays are under chemical mind control. But fortunately, there is a cure uh, in the form of some red goo that just gets spurted on their face. And then they're not mind controlled anymore. Where did that red goo come from? Nobody knows. Who developed the mind control? Widow's parents. But that's, yeah. Anyway, um, Natasha's like, I gotta 
Hyatt again, so I'm going to Budapest, and we hear a lot about Budapest and like her mission with a uh, uh, fucking Hawkeye uh, that occurred years before the events of like the first Avengers movie, uh, and they drop hints here, there, and everywhere, and those hints make me think that that would have made a much more interesting movie. Um, but we didn't get that movie. We got this movie, and this is the movie we now have to live with. Anyway, um, she runs into her air quotes younger sister, who's played by Florence Pugh, Pug, P-U-G-H. I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm going to call it Pug. Um, she's awesome. She's probably the best character in the movie. Uh, she's She's got that kind of bratty younger sister vibe going on, but she's also like a kick-ass assassin, so, you know, that's fun. Um, and then Natasha's like, we're going to take out the Red Room, even though I already thought I took out the Red Room, but now we're going to take it out. We need allies. So she rescues her not-dad, and she goes and visits her not-mom. Um, a lot of, air quotes, family hijinks ensue. It's not very well done, so I'm just going to breeze past it. Uh, and then it turns out that the mom called the Red Room, and now they're all going to the Red Room, which, for some baffling reason, is a satellite-like superstructure that is like in constant or low like atmospheric orbit around the planet it's just floating in the air and uh natasha disguises herself as a mom and she goes talk to ray winstone and tries to kill him and ray winstone's like you can't kill me i've got pheromones right i got pheromones that say you can't harm me physically for some because fuck you and how does uh, Natasha get around this? She breaks her own nose by smashing her face into her desk, severing the fucking olfactory nerve, and then she can't smell him anymore and is able to punch him real good. Why wouldn't you just get, like, some nose plugs or something? I don't know. What if you just held your breath and you didn't smell him? That seems to... I don't think pheromones work that way, but what do I know? Anyway, so, yeah, she fights... Ray Winstone, and when I say fight, I mean she punches him like one time, and then he just runs away, and then she fights a bunch of widows, and then they all get cured of the mind control, and then um, uh, Natasha downloads all of the files of like every widow across the country or across the world, um, hands that to her little sister, and goes, "You got to fix this, um, synthesize more cure, and like go track him down," and then they blow up the station. Oh, and uh, Taskmaster is revealed to be... Oh, his name's Drakoff. That's it. Taskmaster is revealed to be Drakoff's daughter, who Black Widow thought she killed, like, years before, but actually didn't. Um, and so they free her from brain control powers as well. And that all gets wrapped up super nicely. Uh, and then uh, the, quote, cavalry arrives. Uh, we're not really sure who that is or why, because as soon as everybody else flies away in a helicopter, the movie just cuts away to, like, later... Uh, two weeks later, and Widow gets in the Quinjet that we eventually see her in at the start of Infinity War. And uh, that's the end of the movie. And then the mid-credits scene, which of which there's only one, is um, uh, Natasha's little sister visiting her grave. Uh, so this is after the events of Endgame. Uh, and she runs into Madame Hydra from Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And it seems like... Um, uh, little sister here is working for Madame Hydra and is now tasked with killing Hawkeye. Um, and I imagine that storyline will now continue in the Hawkeye Disney Plus show that will occur later on. And that's it. Like, this... That's the movie. 5 out of 10. It's fine. It's... It's... 
it's lower. It's a, like a, it's like a low five. It'd be like five point one. You know, it's it's passable. It absolutely did not benefit from an additional year of hype. Marvel and Disney should have dropped this shit last December. Um, but then everybody would have been like, who the fuck? Why is Julia Louis Dreyfus in the Marvel movie? Who are you supposed to be? And we wouldn't have gotten answers to that until Falcon and the Winter Soldier came out. And that is probably why it was delayed so often. And, you know, Disney will tell you it's like, you know, we wanted it to be in theaters so we could get some of that money. Um, I don't even know if this movie did well in theaters. Um, I'll tell you what, once the word gets out that this movie's just okay, I imagine it's probably not going to do great. Um, people are going to go see it just like how I got it on Disney Plus because it's a Marvel movie. Um, but it is one of the lower quality Marvel movies. It's not unwatchable, but they have done so much better in the past. And this is as generic like a human spy thriller movie as you're likely to get. And it's not a very good spy thriller movie either. It's pretty straightforward. Nothing's really a challenge. It's it's just fine. A lot of action set pieces that aren't really like important for any reason like they spent a lot of time breaking the dad out of jail but it's it's all just kind of like it's all fluff you know and having your movie set in the current standing canon of the mcu basically removes all tension about anything happening to natasha because we know she doesn't die because she's in later movies and so that really cuts the legs out from underneath you kind of before you get going i would have vastly preferred a movie about budapest because that the way they described they were like stuck in the city for 10 days and hiding and fighting their way out um and it was just her and hawkeye with like minimal resources and they had to figure shit out that sounds awesome like a great macgyver like fight your way you know backed into a corner desperate movie uh could have been really like close and small and intimate and claustrophobic feeling and that would have been amazing but that's not what we got we got this pile of shit so yeah that's the movie pass you give it a solid pass like when it's free on disney plus sure give it a watch but yeah i don't i don't know um and it did virtually nothing to set up anything in the in the future shit if anything it looks like it's just setting up the disney plus shows a little bit more um, I am actually stunned that Julia Louise Dreyfus made it into a movie, an MCU movie. Because to me, their villain is so small time. It's like it's like having a drug dealer of of a villain. Like there's just nothing really exciting about Madame Hydra compared to what we're getting with Loki and this huge new cosmic threat that threatens not only our universe but literally every universe in the multiverse. That's much more intriguing than fucking small-time Julia Louise Dreyfus. I don't, I don't understand that at all, and I don't understand why Blonde Widow would go from one asshole who's telling her who to kill against, you know, her her will, to another asshole who's telling her to kill, probably against her will. I don't, I don't fuck. That doesn't make any sense to me in terms of a character development point of view, but whatever. Hollywood has long stopped taking my letters. So yeah, Black Widow, 5 out of 10. It's fine. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. And 
finally this week I'm going to talk about something I thought was really interesting. I have no research or backing to support the claim I'm about to make. But a long time ago there was a Netflix show that I cannot remember the name of. But it was it was awesome. It was this flower sculpting like competition show. Um, competition. Big flower fight. I was on Netflix. It had one season, and it was it was wonderful. I, I absolutely loved it. Um, it was super in the vein of Great British Bake Off, and it was just something really nice and pleasant to watch on like a Sunday afternoon. Um, and I always lamented that there was never a second season. Well, it looks like we got a second season, but it is under a it's a fucking new show called uh, Full Bloom on HBO Max where it's a different set of judges it's a whole new set of contestants but it's the exact same show and i have no the reason i'm saying i haven't done any research on it is because i don't know if it is legitimately the same show just called something else and sold to a different streaming network or if hbo max went hey this looked like fun we can do that and made their own version of it I'm not entirely sure, but I'm excited to watch Full Bloom because I loved the the big flyer fight. I didn't think I was going to. Um, it's 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 like watching anything really, where you're like, like who's really gonna get into an anime about like a boys volleyball team? That's not gonna be interesting. And then before you know it, it's three days later and you haven't slept and you've watched five seasons of it and you're just so invested in the story, but. I absolutely felt that with the flower fights. Like, I I could appreciate it in terms of like, oh, the big flower sculptures. And then you get involved in the people and then you're just gone. Um, and you're just like, oh my God, this flower sculpture means so much to them. It just it happens. I don't, I don't know. That's just good TV. I don't know how else to explain it. Um, so yeah, I'm going to check out the flower bloom here in a little bit. But since this episode was all about shows that were kind of amazing, I wanted to end it with uh, with something I was looking forward to. Um, and that's Full Bloom. And you know what I'm also looking forward to? I'm looking forward to talking to you all next week for another brand new episode of the Going Upcast. Be sure to check out all this week's new audiobook chapters. We are on the third and final book of the His Dark Materials franchise in case you are a big fan. Um, and the book after that, uh, which won't be for several weeks, um, because there's a lot of chapters in the Amber Spyglass, uh, is gonna be a hit. You gotta trust me. That next book, oh my god. I'm so excited. But I will see you all next time. See, I will talk to you all next time, and you'll hear me next time, since this is pretty much a one-way medium. But hey, you always shoot me an email at goingcast.gmail.com. Hope you all have a wonderful week. Talk to you later. Have a good one, everyone.